Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're now going to come to our reading. If you'd like to pick up a Bible, the reading is going to be 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. Uh, you can find it on 1196, and we're going to carry on uh, after Margaret does our reading uh, in our great sermon series on 2 Timothy. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch. Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks be to God. Fabulous, Margaret. Thank you so much. Do keep that open. Uh, I've got some handouts here. I wonder if I can... Spread these around. Thank you so much. And this handout will give us a little idea of what we're going to be thinking about as we continue in this letter of 2 Timothy. And uh, the second half of chapter 3, page 1196. Um, Worth having open in front of you if you haven't already. Wonderful. Well, let me me lead us in prayer as uh, the handouts make their way around. We've just read these words. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray as we come to your word now, Lord, please equip us for all that you would have us do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's that time of year, and you might be going to one of these, or you'll remember these, of sort of speech days, and graduation ceremonies, and uh, events like that. I don't know if you've had one this summer, or whether you're uh, going to one uh, coming up. And um, they can be great events, and uh, the the speeches tend to sort of look to the future, don't they? Uh, They talk about how we can make the best of ourselves. And uh, I'm sure we've been to some excellent ones, and I suspect we might have been to some that are not quite so good. Um, But that sort of theme, that sort of idea of how can you make the most of the rest of your life is what's going on here, I think, in 2 Timothy um, as a whole letter, and and here in chapter 3. And if I can slightly rephrase the question, 
Uh, I put it on the handout there. How can we be the people God wants us to be? How can we be the people God wants us to be? Um, I mean, I think this, uh, there's sort of similarities to the whole speech day thing, of sort of looking to the future, and this is what Paul is doing with Timothy. He's looking to uh, the future, uh, particularly Timothy's future, but as we've been thinking, this is very much uh, Paul writing to the whole church as well. So whilst this might have particular application, this book to church leaders, it has applications for all of us in the church. So uh, that sort of idea of looking ahead. Uh, but the way Paul does it is very, very different from many of the speech day speeches that we hear. Uh, it's not about looking in within yourself, uh, finding greatness within you, uh, or the limitless potential that lies within us, as I've heard recently. Uh, rather, it's quite different, actually. It's about being the people that God wants us to be. And that doesn't always look what we might think it might look like. And uh, what Paul calls us to is to do uh, one big thing. Uh, as we think about how can we be the people God wants us to be, he tells us to keep going, to continue and we'll get on to how exactly he tells us to do that. But just to remind us of the context of this letter, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who's really his protege. Uh, Paul is coming to the end of his life, and uh, these are in many ways his final words. And last week we looked at how things can go really wrong in Christian ministry. And in verses uh, 1 to, uh, to 9, uh, we particularly see what can go wrong with teachers that swerve off from the gospel. So uh, this is what can happen. Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's how things can go wrong. And that is what Paul is saying and observing in false teachers, people who are departing from the gospel. But now, Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to be different. Verse 10, you, however. Verse 14, but as for you, saying you need to be different. And that is true for me as a Christian leader, and it's true for all of us if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to something different. And what we're called to is that command to keep going, to continue. Verse 14 is really at the heart of it. Let me read verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. Continue in what you have learned. Uh, it's sort of the image, you know, it's like a sort of car, a racing car going around a track. And Paul is saying, don't veer off. Uh, don't take a wrong turn. Don't crash and burn. Keep on track. Keep going. And so in many ways, if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the people God wants us to be, and he wants us to keep going and growing in that. How do we do that? 
How do we do that? Uh, two ways in which Paul encourages us to do that, I think, in these verses. The first is to remember your godly role models. Remember your godly role models. Verse 10, let me read from that. You, however, know all about my teaching, Paul writes of himself, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you, learn, you know those from whom you learned it. If I was going to sum that up, I think what he's saying is remember your godly role models. Again, it's a contrast to the false teachers that we've just seen earlier, a contrast to what happens to them, verse 13, how they deceive, and actually they end up deceiving themselves. There's self-deception going on. In contrast, Paul is saying, you know, I'm an example here, speaking of himself. And he's saying, look, remember how I've lived. You've seen it. You know me. I remember my teaching. Verse 10, remember my way of life. Remember my purpose to bring glory to God. Remember my character, this faith, patience, love, endurance. Remember what my experiences have been of these persecutions and of these sufferings. And then he goes on to speak about some particular examples of this in verse 11, these places, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. That was actually Paul's first missionary journey, and he particularly names those places because that's where Timothy was. He was from that neck of the woods and would have known about these stories. And, you know, you can read about them in Acts 13 and 14. In uh, Antioch, Paul was expelled. In Iconium, he uh, initially got quite a good response, but then there was a plot against him. In Lystra, which was Timothy's hometown, um, they, start, they started loving him. They were so impressed with Paul and his uh, co-worker Barnabas that they wanted to worship them. I don't know if you remember that story, if you read that. Uh, but they turned completely on Paul, and they stoned him and dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Uh, just some of the persecutions that Paul himself experienced. Uh, it's striking how Paul says the Lord rescued him uh, from them all. Uh, not saying he rescued him from harm. He clearly experienced harm. But he did rescue him from death. He enabled his life, this ministry, to keep going. And Paul's drawing attention to this. Why? Why is he doing that? Why is he drawing attention to his own experience and his own example? Uh, why encourage Timothy to remember this? And I think the answer is this. Those who we look to, those who we remember, those people who sort of fill our minds, those people we spend time with, they have a profound influence on us. They shape us. The company we keep shapes us. Uh, think of it like this. Uh, I don't know if you're into Wimbledon. Many will be into Wimbledon um, over this uh, last week, next week. And there is a reason why bookings for tennis courts become almost impossible to get during the couple of weeks of Wimbledon. Because we're all watching Wimbledon. We think, 
oh, that's fantastic. What a great game. And everyone starts to go out and book um, their courts. And, um, you know, because as you spend time looking at something, seeing role models, uh, then you want to copy it. You want to, you're influenced by it. And that is true, I think, for the company we keep, people we spend time with. I'm not just talking about friends and family and colleagues, though that is absolutely true, uh, but also the company we keep, the podcast we listen to, uh, the stuff we read, the stuff we watch on telly. All of this stuff has an impact upon us. Now, of course, we're called to be engaged with the world around us, um, we'll think about that in just a few moments' time. Uh, we're to love those that the Lord has brought into our lives and to uh, be engaged and give ourselves to them. But it's worth thinking, who are the people who are role models in our life? Who are the people who we are allowing to shape us? And are they godly role models? Are they people who live a shape of life which is according to the gospel, according to Jesus? Are they themselves following Jesus in the way that he went? Paul was a great example of that. One other person I'd love to bring to our attention is uh, a remarkable person called Ben Kwashi, who's uh, an archbishop in Nigeria. You'll see his picture on the handout. And um, I was uh, recently given a copy of this uh, fascinating, wonderful uh, magazine, so helpful, called by Release International, Voice of Persecuted Christians. We've been praying already this morning for those who are facing persecution as Christians. And uh, this is full of stories, and it's got a particular feature uh, of uh, Nigeria. And uh, we hear an, a, a great interview with Ben Kwashi, who speaks about the appalling experiences that they are having there of uh, homes being burnt down, churches being burnt down, uh, machete attacks, uh, people being killed, uh, left bereaved. And uh, his example is quite remarkable. Uh, let me just read. It's quite a long quote, but I think it's worth us hearing. Uh, it's on your handout. It's on the uh, screen as well. Ben Quashi says this, I've done far more funerals in the last 20 years than naming ceremonies or weddings put together. I am a grieving pastor. I have a church on Baki Road which has been destroyed four times. I've rebuilt it four times and I'll rebuild it ten times. What the persecutors are bringing is destruction. They're bringing illiteracy. They're bringing people back to the days when they are helpless and disease will kill them. But we have a gospel that is not only able to save life but brings civility to humanity, that brings kindness and introduces healthcare, and mostly for free. And, and he goes on to speak of the impact that the gospel and Christians are having in the midst of such difficult times. Uh, it's quite striking, that quote, particularly, I thought, with uh, verse uh, 12 in mind which says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, it's worth just thinking, Paul, in this particular uh, time, was writing to a particular context, and he was well aware that standing for Christ was going very much against the culture 
And that would inevitably involve some form of uh, persecution. He certainly experienced that. And different contexts throughout history are different, and uh, certainly where societies have taken on Christianity, uh, the persecution of Christians changes. But it's worth just recognizing how around the world at this time, there are many Christians facing persecution, where standing for the gospel involves much hatred towards you. And uh, the situation in Nigeria, and this magazine talks about situations uh, in other parts of the world, in Indonesia, in, in Malaysia, in India, and obviously many other parts of the world where Christians are under severe persecution. And it is, it is striking, actually, how um, I also think Ben points to a truth we see here in verse 13, how the damage that evildoers and impostors bring about, uh, that what they do goes from bad to worse. And don't you see that in that quote of those who are destroying these churches? They are bringing people back to the days of helplessness. A standing opposed to the gospel as strongly as these people are is of no help to that society. Whereas the gospel is bringing life and many benefits from that. And it's just a reminder to see the reality that in this world the gospel can be very offensive and it often involves severe persecution around the world today and it has done throughout history. And it's well worth us looking at people like Ben Quashi and seeing him as a role model and being inspired by him and encouraged by him and seeing a pattern of Christian living that is very stark but wonderful to follow. Uh, for us in this country, we don't face persecution like that. But there will be times of ridicule. There will be perhaps hostility uh, in this uh, experience uh, that we'll have day by day. Uh, we all would have experienced that to some degree or another. Uh, that shouldn't surprise us when that happens. I was really challenged, actually, by reading John Stott's on this. Uh, and uh, let me just read what he says about this. He says this, those who are in Christ but not in the world are not persecuted because they do not come into contact and therefore into collision with their potential persecutors. Those who are in the world but not in Christ are also not persecuted because the world, sorry that was written wrong, the world sees nothing in them to persecute. I was challenged by that because it's sort of saying that if we're not facing any hostility at all, maybe it's because we're either not engaged with the world or we've become just like the world. Because the gospel's radical. It is different. It marches to a different beat. And that will be different in different places around the world through history. But it is worth recognizing. So, that's to step back a little bit and to think, uh, who are role models? Who are godly role models? Who are the people we're allowing to shape 
our life? And are they people who are living a life shaped like Jesus Christ, who first went to the cross, then to, to glory? Now, what are we filling our minds with? What are we engaging with? It's why we've done the bookstore, incidentally, of Soul in the Summer, to, to give us food, a spiritual nourishment over the next couple of months so that we're shaped by godly role models. So that's the first uh, way in which we can continue to keep going as Christians. Second, over the page, to trust the effectiveness of Scripture, to trust the effectiveness of Scripture. Uh, This is one of the classic statements of what Scripture is and why we should trust it. Uh, Scripture is described as God-breathed. Do you see that there in verse 16? All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's worth just thinking a little bit about what Scripture is, if we're going to use it to help us to be the people God wants us to be. And God-breathed, that's a really helpful way of describing what Scripture is. It speaks of the dual authorship of Scripture. So Christians believe that Scripture is written by both human beings, many different human beings have written Scripture, but also by the Holy Spirit, one voice, human and divine. And that sort of image of being God-breathed, oh, words don't come out unless there's breath to take them. And that is what Scripture is. It's God-breathed. He's uh, given us his words. Uh, think of it like a musical instrument. Uh, so each instrument has its own character, sort of uh, particularly you know, flute, clarinet, oboe, trumpet, uh, wind instruments. And uh, they have their own character, but the same musician can breathe life into them. And they all look and feel different, just as every author in Scripture has a slightly different character to it. But it's all been breathed. Life has been breathed into it by the Holy Spirit. Peter put it like this, For prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And obviously, uh, here in 2 Timothy and there in uh, 2 Peter, they're referring back to the Old Testament Scriptures. But what is true for Old Testament Scripture is also true for New Testament Scripture. As Jesus commissioned his apostles, his disciples and Paul to carry his testimony, there is a God-breathedness to Scripture. And therefore, there is an authority to it. We're to obey Scripture. And I put there a little box there about different sources of authority we can have in our lives. And uh, you can fill in these boxes now if you want. don't have to at all. Uh, But what are the different uh, potential authorities? Top left-hand box, the Bible. Uh, That is one source of authority. Top right-hand box, we might put experience. How do I feel about things? experience. Bottom left-hand box, uh, you could pop in there, reason. What do I think about things? Bottom right-hand box, perhaps we could put in there tradition or, or culture. What do other people say about things, either through history or just today? 
Now, experience, reason, tradition, these are all really good things. And they're all things that we can use and need to use. We have to use. But where does authority lie? Where does the final decision get made over what is true and what is not? Is it our experience? Is it our reason? Is it what other people say? And given that Scripture's God-breathed, that this is God's Word, I want to say it's got to be the Bible. It's got to be the Bible. That's got to be the authority in our life. But what I think Paul is saying here is not simply the authority of Scripture, but actually, even more, he's talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, And this is the big lesson he wants to give to Timothy. He wants to say to Timothy, trust in the Bible's effectiveness to do what God says it will do. Trust in the Bible's effectiveness to do what God says it will do. So what does Scripture do? Well, let me read from verse 14 again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does Scripture do? What impact or effect does it have when it can make us wise for salvation? It can show us the way that we can be saved. Uh, What else does it do? It teaches us, verse 16. Uh, There's so much to learn. There's so much we don't know about God, about the world, about ourselves. The Bible teaches us about all those things. Strikingly, it rebukes us. Sometimes that can be quite blunt, where we come across a bit of Scripture that suddenly we think, wow, that is, goes completely against what I think of this world. Sometimes it can be much more subtle, much more gentle, but gradually we hear God's voice and we feel and hear his rebuke. Uh, Here's a challenge from Andrew Wilson, which I think is uh, a really pertinent one when we think about being rebuked by Scripture. He says this, Whenever Scripture challenges some of our deeply held beliefs, as it often does, we have a choice. We can challenge the Bible, or we can let the Bible challenge us. Do we allow the Bible to to rebuke us? Uh, It corrects us. Uh, The idea here is sort of, improves us. Um, uh, it's a bit like, you know, in, around the house, there's always stuff that needs working on. I don't know if you're into your DIY, but sort of mending, improving, maintaining. Uh, that's what Scripture does for our lives. It trains us in righteousness so that we're equipped for every good work, everything that the Lord wants us to do. Scripture, we're told, gives us what we need to be able to do that. Now, we need to understand the sufficiency of Scripture doesn't mean that God doesn't or can't use other means. But it does mean that he doesn't need to. Scripture does give us all that we need to live the life that God is calling us 
to live. And so I think the encouragement here to Timothy and to all of us is to believe that and to soak ourselves in Scripture and to read it and to hear it preached and to meditate on it and to sing it and to celebrate it as we will in a few moments uh, through the visible words of the Lord's Supper and baptism. We're to resist the temptation to move on. It can be so tempting to move on from Scripture, uh, to innovate, to change what it says. So in theory, sometimes we can give it a nod. Yeah, of course Scripture's authoritative, but we don't actually use it in our lives. There's a lovely uh, story I read, uh, a picture coming up, I think, of um, uh, this, this lady. Uh, this is from, from the Bible story, uh, a woman called Man Hai Wen, who uh, 90 years old, and this is a picture of her receiving her very first Bible. She never had the Bible before, and she received it, and it's just the thrill of it. And um, it's a reminder, we can take it so for granted that all these Bibles are around, and so accessible for us, but it is the most precious gift. Now, why is this the case? Why is Scripture sufficient? Why is it enough? Well, the answer is because it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ, and He is enough. One of the greatest scenes in the Bible is of Jesus giving a Bible study to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24 speaks about this. And what does he do? We read it here. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scripture is all about Jesus Christ. And he is enough for us. He is sufficient for us. And the whole of the Bible points us to him in all his richness and who he is, in his character, in his teaching, in what he's come to do for us, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension, he will return. His call of repentance and faith to follow him. And so it's worth thinking, as we have needs, and you know, of course, uh, we all will be very conscious of the needs in our life and the needs of many amongst us, not least amongst our church family. And there will be many amongst us who might be feeling discouraged at this time, who might be feeling anxious, who might be filled with doubt, are facing illness. There might be some who are feeling themselves drifting from faith or seeing others drift from faith. Uh, maybe uh, particularly on our heart of family, friends, uh, who don't know the Lord and we long for them to know the Lord. What is the best thing we can do? Where can we turn? Well, we need to turn to God's Word, to Scripture. It gives us all that we need because it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is enough, who is sufficient for us. And as we do that, we can be equipped for everything everything the Lord calls us to. That's not necessarily going to be easy. We see in Paul's example, he did not have an easy life. But the Lord did equip him for all that he called him to be, the person he called to be. And if we want to be equipped to be the people that God calls us to be, look to the Bible. Look to the story of 
Jesus Christ, and look to others who seek to follow him and allow them to shape our lives. Well, we're going to have a chance to, to, to do that now as we uh, share bread and wine together. Uh, this visible word that speaks of Jesus' death for us. How through him we can be forgiven as we come to him. So we're just going to take a moment of quiet and uh, let's just sort of ponder on what we've been thinking about and then I'll lead us through uh, the Lord's Supper together.